I kind of, I always knew that I had, there was something on this planet that I was supposed to do. And I thought it was saving the world. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today, the Noongar Wadandi Mort. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Scratch the surface and everyone has a story. Welcome, Kaya, to the Wisdom of Women. Now, today's guest uh, describes herself as the average Aussie mum whose life was changed in an instant. Julie Kent has been through a lot over the years, but she still manages to call herself blessed. Yeah, welcome, Julie. You're a tough mum. Mama Jules, you <laughs> mum, know I asked. Yep, Mama Jules, that's me, yep, to many kids that aren't my own biologically, but yeah, and very proud to wear the moniker. Oh, good on you. Yeah, yeah, you've certainly helped a lot of people along the way. Let's just go back a little bit, though, to the start of sort of the last few years ago mm. when life pretty much turned pear-shaped. Is yep. that the right description? Um, I wouldn't say that it turned pear-shaped. It was probably fairly distorted by then anyway, but it certainly took something from a very personal level to a very public level and it was unexpected. Um, I didn't realise that just you know, I posted something on Facebook and it touched thousands of people all over the world and, um, yeah, and it, and then it snowballed and said my life changed from that moment. It's never been the same, but so, not, not bad. So what happened? What I, was the trigger here? Okay, so I have three sons. Um, all of them had problems with meth addiction. My youngest one, um, I was sitting in the car. We were on our way to the courthouse, local Bunbury courthouse, and he'd got himself into some trouble when he was coming down and um, I'm sitting in the car and I looked at myself in the rear vision mirror and I didn't recognise the woman there as me, you know, and I'm a happy, loving kind of person but this woman was distraught and I was having panic attacks, stuff that had never happened to me and uh, as well as my own children, you know, Mum and Jules, I was watching their friends Mm -hmm. and other young people in our society succumbing to this thing and it was almost like an avalanche it was just going insane about the same time that we started getting the government and the police were really saying this is a real problem and so I posted on Facebook that I look like crap and this is why and about the fact that my son was a beautiful young man well liked and I say half their problem for all my boys was they're quite attractive charismatic friendly kind of guys So making friends, whether they be good or bad, wasn't hard. Mm. And I just wanted them to just stop and not do this to their mum. Yeah. Not be, don't do this because it's not fair. And that was before I knew anything about what I was dealing with. So I learned a lot along the way and said that was a very naive, very distraught mum. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, but it. The next day I walked outside and I didn't realise, I don't know anything about media, I didn't realise that once I'd, because I'd got contacted by a radio station and I did a little interview on the radio and, you know, only lasted a couple of minutes. Next day, there I am on the front front page of our local paper. Wow. All my, my boys' names and oh. everything there. How did it feel? What's going through your mind? Um, oh, Devastation. Fear of how they were going to react to that mm. um, because they weren't in good places. and But then there's that little bit inside of me went, no, bugger you, I need 
to get this out there. I need to do something about this. All these people, on my phone, it was ridiculous. I was getting 300 messages a day. I was in the London Times. Excuse me, I have a drink. Yeah, go ahead. It's really interesting and I love the way, though, that you just thought, I'm putting it out there. I have to put it out there. I didn't have an option now. You know, I live in Australia. I've lived there for 20-odd years and everybody knows me and knows my kids and stuff. So there we were on the front of the paper. And I, and up to that point, I had been, because Australia is quite a small community and they, all the kids all knew each other, mm. um, I was already having people coming up to me in the supermarket and going, oh, Julie, I've got a friend whose family's just like yours. Um, could you talk to her? Oh, wow. And I'm like, just like mine. You mean beautiful, loving, torn apart, yeah, struggling, yeah. But, you know, we're not damaged, that mm. we didn't mm. do anything wrong, mm. my boys made a bad choice. Yep. Mm. And all these other kids are making bad choices and I'm not the only mum, I'm just the loud one. Mm. Mm. Were you quite blown away by the reaction in the sense of how many other people were going through this? I knew. I knew how bad the problem was um, because I was seeing it in my own life. So, you know, that... Because my, you know, we had an old place out on the estuary and a big pizza oven. So my place was always the place the kids mm. came. And I'm Mama Jules for a reason because I was always that person that they could come to and go, I've just broken Mum's door or I've had a fight with Dad or something. And so I, I knew what was going on in our community. And, you know, that's fairly, fairly obvious. Yeah. We've all walked around the supermarket yeah. and seen that person mm. yeah. or seen them driving or and it was on the news all the time. So I was more blown away by the personal stories that I was mm. getting and the fact that something, you know, I, I know Facebook, you know, sometimes I might get 100 likes on something. This was thousands and thousands yeah. and private messages and people all over the world. And then I'm like, okay, this is something. Mm. So people are reaching out for help to you because you've put it out there. Because like you said, you're the loudest voice. So they're going, mm. oh, we need help from this loud voice. Yeah. Oh, we just need someone's telling my story. Yeah. And when you when you read, I mean, I belong to lots of groups mm-hmm. online um, that have um, for helping people with addiction. And um, our stories are the same. Mm. And there's a big thing in our society where we like to label people. And so we're all... Enablers. Mm -hmm. And if I could take one word out of the dictionary, I'd take that word out. That's a really nasty word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. You know, when you, there were times in that journey, in that early part, where I thought I was going to bury my children. So feeding them, I've got 12 grandchildren, nappies, um, petrol in their car, phone credit, all of that stuff. Yep. And my loving, partner of 23 years and I will never be rich because it cost us a lot financially and emotionally but it was worth every cent of it Mm. and it 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 obviously for whatever reason somebody something higher said this loudmouth Aussie mum from Australia has to make a difference and and it wasn't just me it was Lena as well yeah so tell us about this. How did you connect with Lena? And so she'd started a Facebook page, I think probably only about a week before this happened, called um, Ice in Bunbury Mother's Nightmare. Her son nearly died, 
and um, same thing. She, uh, at, you know, like when you're going through this, you Google. Yeah. Mm. And you're looking mm. for support. And, of course, we all, rehab's the first thing that comes into mind. Well, I'm happy to quote that for the majority, it doesn't work. Okay. So what are my other options? Mm. And you, you know, you have your local GP, um, but if they're not educated or compassionate and empathetic towards addiction, mm-hmm. then you can go to a lot of different places and a lot of the places too, you know, they're government funded. You might wait months. Yeah. When well, we all know the health system is under, inadequate. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I, so I can imagine, as you say, then for for the drug, the addiction aspect, you'd be really scrambling to find people. You are really scrambling, and um, it, it it is overwhelming, and you're scared, and you're being judged by your peers because everybody knows what's going on in your family, and Felina the same. You know, we both put it out there. So anyway, her and Courtney decided they were going to call a public meeting. So about, I think there was about 70 or 80 of us, all went down to Jetty Barnes near Vatu and we had a bit of a sausage sizzle and made some platters and stuff. And we had a girl who came down from Karatha who was coming out of addiction and I dragged my son by his ear and said, you're coming along whether you Mm -hmm. like it or not because at this time he was, you know, being um, home detained. Okay. To get well. Mama Jules had stepped in. Mama Jules had stepped in. <laughs> um, so we came along and there was lots of us and we realised, okay, there's enough of us here mm. to do something. We didn't know what we wanted to do but we knew we wanted to do something. So we had a meeting about a month later down at Henry's one night and we just brainstormed. Yep. Yep. Like what is it that you need at that time? You need immediate intervention. You need someone to listen. You need a GP who can get this person in a good place. You need a mental health plan. All of those things. Mm-hmm. How are we going to do this? And then that's when Lena and I started campaigning. Yes. Two women who had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And I mentioned earlier that I met Howard Sattler. So I had messaged him one night and sent him a little blurb about what we were doing. And he was doing very similar to what you girls are doing, except it was just, you know, people with their story. And we went up and we had a chat to him and he knew people in Parliament. Mm. So he got us an invitation to Parliament House and came with us. Wow. And we sat down with um, the Minister for Health at the time and told him kind of what we were about, that we wanted some sort of service that was supporting families and friends, not the addicts as such because that's their journey, but to have somewhere for people to go when this was happening mm. to them. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so Doors Wide Open was born from that. Fantastic <laughs> service. How, how did it go once you opened the doors of Doors Wide Open? What yeah, happened? look, it was absolutely amazing. We were lucky enough that we were in the middle of election and oh, so fantastic. Lena and I. Yeah. Don't you love that? That's <laughs> always helpful. When well, it the was. Polly's are, are it, was it was really funny because um, we oh. suddenly started getting. We were in every paper and they were donating money yeah. to us and we got invited to all of their. Um, you know, when they do their blurb before, mm-hmm. before elections yeah. and stuff. And because it was in the news, we actually were told that you girls are going to be what chooses Liberal or Labor in our community. Don got in. 
a very staunch supporter of ours. Mm-hmm. Big impact. It was a huge impact, but the impact on the that's when the water testing and stuff was all yep. going on, yep. and the woman that sadly got killed out on the road to Bustleton. Yes. All of that was all the same time. Yeah. So um, it was in everybody's minds. We were on the news all mm. of the time. And, yeah, and so um, Mark McGowan came down. We made him a pizza. <laughs> we we had a little centre in Forest Ave. Um, we got the rent really cheap. And because I'm Mama Jules, I went out to the community and said, we need help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had mm-hmm. so much support of local electricians and trailer hire and I managed to get us a car through Lotteries West. Oh, um, wow. fantastic. Mm, yes. All of that stuff. I have stuff, seen so your little car. Or I had seen had little seen car. it. Yeah. It's still there. It's still there. Uh, it's interesting hearing you talk about the support in particular, the government support and funding, um, because that can make or break a scenario and sometimes it can be a little politicised donations and funding and support. You know, how, how have you found uh, that? I'll take the way? money from anybody, Sean. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the thing, grassroots especially, there's lots of them. Mm. This was a powerful thing. The timing was everything. Yeah. Um, in any other time, we would probably not have made it as far as we did with any other people. Um, although it, the service still exists, it doesn't exist in the same space that we originally started it for, but it was the government and the community. Mm. Like we could not have done this without Bunbury. This is an awesome place mm. and people do care. Yes. And um, we're all basically just trying to get by and Bunbury already struggles enough. Having the worst meth problem in Australia didn't yeah. do us any favours. No. No, no it's not. not a good crown to, yeah. to be carrying, is it? No, and it wasn't mm. and I'm not. Yeah, it wasn't something that um, the the powers that be in Bunbury wanted no. made obvious. And Lena and I did that. We made it really obvious there was a problem and that yeah. we were going to talk about this. That's interesting. Did yeah. you get some pushback? Yeah. Did anyone turn around and say to you, you just need to calm down a bit? Yeah. Ladies, why don't yeah. you settle down? Yeah, we kept getting told all the time, oh, you need to do some self-care. Oh, my and God. And it's like, okay. no, we don't. We need to ride this while we can. And we were told that it didn't portray sexy Bunbury. Oh, please. No way. Someone said that. Yes, I someone. didn't know there was a sexy Bunbury. And who wants a sexy Bunbury, let's <laughs> yeah, be honest? No we just want Bunbury. Yeah, that's yeah. gone. Yeah. My yes, God. That's... Yeah, and that was really, really – and. You know, nobody wants it in their backyard, and it's, it's, that's always mm. that's always been the case. And yeah, that's that, not that just and that's not just a, mm. around addiction. And that's um, but what we did was get rid of a little bit of the stigma mm. about it. We made it. You know, we were normal, just normal mums, nice ladies that you'd go and have a couple with your girlfriend with. Yeah. You know, who whose lives were changed by something they had no control over. Mm. And um, and that brings it back to a really personal level, and that's they're the people we wanted to help. Yes, mm. you know I've sat in emergency with someone in psychosis. I've sat with someone when she just found out that her daughter had passed away. Oh. I sat with families whose child had suicided. Mm. Now you don't get any more personal than that. And if out of all of this, that's all I ever take away from it, what a privilege. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 
Amazing. Yeah. So what kind of service did you want to offer and is that what you were able to offer? We were, absolutely it did. So my role at Doors Wide Open was I ran cooking classes, art classes. I did community service. So getting the car that we got, the um, funding around that was the fact that I took people who were in recovery mm-hmm. and we did yard cleanups and help people move mm-hmm. and I took them out. I'm a great cook and so we were doing um, the Catholic Women's Australian Christmas Party oh, and I'd take all these guys in with oh. me and we'd cook and we'd serve it and they'd clean up the yards. They get so much from that. Mm. that It was so powerful in giving them some self-worth and and we included the, the whole families in that, you know, doors wide open, a chook pen and a veggie garden and a playroom and it was a home it wasn't it wasn't a service and no one needed a referral from a doctor or no. how did it work you could literally just turn up yeah. knock on the door and of say hey help. i need some help for or the we need help. first two years lena and i were 24 hours a day seven days a week we were That's available intense. to people mm. and then, then that changed a little bit you know and like I said before we didn't know what we were doing mm. so we went and got ourselves some qualifications mm-hmm. we both got community service diplomas and mm. all of those things so that we were putting some knowledge behind our lived experience yeah. and um you know we we have circles where we would sit with, especially families and friends, that's really, really powerful mm, yeah. to sit with a group of people who've been through similar um, experiences. But, you know, lots of times it was we had sewing. One of the girls had a sewing machine. So they'd all sit mm. and people in recovery with their mum mm. or dad and son coming out to do a community service project, rebuilding those connections with community and family, and that's so powerful. So that's the success to recovery, do you think, is is making sure that it, it's not just the individual, it's it's all that support services, the family, friends, building, as you say, that connection again. The first thing that you do is build the resilience in that family unit, whatever that looks like, whoever that person's family might be, because families are, are all different. Yeah. So it's normally a loved one or someone that will come first and say, I've got this child I want to help them Mm. Um, and lots of times it is telling them okay yes that's what you want until they want it that's not going to happen but how can we help you how can we support you can we get you some counseling do you need to be on some sort of medication to cope through this do you have a good doctor and where are the children in this and that's the most important thing of the whole lot where are the kids in this? Where, let's build as much safety around this family as mm. we can. And then when this person over here, because they will come one day or one night, for me one of them was 4 o'clock in the morning, mm. I can't do this anymore, I need out. So this family now has a little plan, somewhere to start. Yeah. And it it's a long road and that person is going to have to do it 90% on their own. But when they're ready, they need that loving place to be, that unconditional love Mm. for this to work. Right. And it might take a few times. So your resilience is going to be tested over here. Mm. Okay. 
that's that's what needs to be done and then yes as they get better and it's a long you know for that first 12 months they're probably not much good to anybody mm. and a lot of people go oh well, they need to be working or you know they need to be they should be why are they sleeping all the time and all of those things it's not a quick fix right it's not a quick fix so let's take baby steps but people can't when they're in that and for me too in that desperation you just want somebody to give you something. Yeah. And I, my job at Doors Wide Open a lot of time was to make a thousand useless phone calls. But that person sitting there in desperation could see that somebody cared mm. and somebody was going to – and lots of times it was um, people would come and on top of their addiction problem, they had no food. They had no sanitary products. Wow. They, we supplied that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which was, it, you know, put on a new set of clothes, new pair of kicks, yeah. food in your belly, you might feel a little bit better. Yeah. You yeah. might have a little bit of something to give. The basics, isn't yeah. it? The absolute basics. Yeah, dignity. We oh. all deserve that. How does it sit with you that, that you guys were, were working together and, and pulling on the services, um, you know, services and help from a lot of people, and yet clearly this is a huge community issue? I mean, authorities, support services, proper, I'm not saying proper, but, you know, local government, government. Like, where were they in all this? Did at some point you turn around and go, come on, step in? The day that we first went up to Parliament House and the Minister Googled grants for us. And then at that time there'd just been 18 beds, 18 rehab beds released in WA and we said, where are the beds? And she said, I don't know. And she turned around to her. Mm-hmm. PC, oh, where's you know where are they? And they and that realization that you know we thought you go to Parliament House, they give you some money, you go do your good yeah. deed, yeah. and that's what it is. There's no. none of that. We had to get. We were very very lucky. There was a wonderful man in Bunbury who came on board as our advisor, who worked for free for us, and eventually when we got a bit of funding, he got a little bit of money to put our proposals together right. and all of those things. But a lot of it, like the Lottery West application. That was me on a computer, mm-hmm. no idea what I'm doing. So that that illusion that someone can come along and fix this, mm. they can't. I'll, unfortunately, the bit I still can't get my head around is why it costs a million dollars to write a paper or a proposal about something. Yes. And why can't that money be fed to the – like we've got a million different organisations all doing great work, all on a shoestring budget. Mm. And people burn out really quick yeah. in this because you do, you, you're fighting every day. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, you, it did come down to, you know, my budget for a week for cooking class was 20 bucks. Oh, that's Oh, ridiculous. my God. Come on. Oh, but wow. Then, but then we would get on our Facebook and we'd go, mm. we need stuff. Mm-hmm. And Nana would come in with a box of groceries. Yes. And, you know, and... It really was. But, no, um, there needs to be a lot more collaboration between not the services because they're doing a great job, mm. between the people who control the money. So the middle management. Yeah. Let's let's get real about mm. this. Mm. How much money have we really got and where do we really need yeah. to spend it? Because the fact of the matter is addiction costs the community enormously like we don't really realize do we how deep it it all goes yeah and people have that concept that 
it's not me, it's not my problem, mm. but then the house gets broken into and their excess on their insurance goes up mm. or their car gets stolen mm. or a window gets broken or they are the same people who are complaining that we're spending so much on um, people who are unemployed and all of those things and that all comes out of our money, mm. the taxes we mm. pay. Yep. So it does affect you. So you may not know anybody in addiction, but it's affecting your life. And as the human beings on this planet, we have an obligation to work together to protect and look after the ones that are vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And Julie, you've spoken about childhood trauma and your lived experience. Can mm. you talk a bit about this and how, how that impacts? Okay, um, you know, my, I always say I'm going to write a book one day mm. and it's going to be a bestseller. And my life, I mean, I come from a very, I was born in 1963, so very Aussie family of that time that appeared to be very normal, but the undercurrent of that was very different. There was child sex abuse, there was infidelity, there was domestic violence, there was all those things. So I was already, when I became a mother, mm. already had my own trauma. And then because of that, my kids, although the two... My two youngest ones were, I've been with my partner now for 23 years and he's a wonderful man, but they saw some stuff. They dealt with some stuff that wasn't good. And I have to, and it really hurts to admit that I probably played a part in their childhood trauma and therefore their addiction. So for me, that became really important that I was the place that stopped. So... I've been lucky enough that through Doors Wide Open, I was able to do 13 programs in the Bunbury Regional Prison. And I would say 85 to 90% of the young men that I met in there had significant childhood trauma. Mm. We did a restorative justice program. So I went in as a mum of Mm -hmm. addicts and told my story to them. And time after time after time, I would hear these boys coming to me and going, my mum must have felt like that. Mm. And I can honestly say there were a few, you know, there are some bad people in jail, so, you know, they're not all angels. Mm. But a large percentage of them I really liked. Mm. They were really nice guys, but they had this stuff that was never dealt with. And children, we have this thing, kids are resilient. No, they're not. They're not resilient. They're little, tiny people. And... I, can, I know how frightening m- my experience was as an adult with addicts. I can't imagine what it was like, would be like for those little people and they're living this every day. Mm. And these are the same kids that are going to school the next day and they're hungry and they're tired yeah. and they're dirty and they can't concentrate and then they're labelled. Yeah, right. And then they got lost in the system and then there's your next generation of addicts. Mm. The intergenerational trauma continues. And it's a job of everyone in society. They're not someone else's kids. They're our kids. They're our next generation. Mm. We're all on the same planet together. And we need to stop that. And sometimes, you know, I I did a lot of work with grandparents who are older, perhaps not wanting to buy into the skin. And my story was always the same. Get that kid out of there. Mm. 
And I, we had to do that for one of our own. We had shared care of a granddaughter for three and a half years. Had we not, her parents would never have got well. What a success story that is. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And nice to hear. It is a success story. Oh, oh for all of my children. Yeah. It's a success story. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm. And I'm a nan of 12. <laughs> so this is yeah. really personal. And I can see the difference already in them. Because in the grandchildren, yeah, because we've been able to put that yeah. safety net yeah. around them and nurture them and care for them, and um, and it was really hard. It's really hard to tell a child who is also a parent that you can't take your kid to Macca's, you can't go down to the park. That's 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 hard. Mm. That was really tough for me, but it gave them time to get well, and it protected these little ones. And they're going to be okay. Mm. Mm, And that's huge. And we can all do our part in that. Mm. You know, we can all stop closing our eyes and saying it's someone else's problem. But but they, yeah, I don't know anyone who's an addict, but you, like you say, like we always say, scratch the surface because you just don't know, you know, it's everywhere. But it's right behind us. It can be anybody from any walk of life you don't have to be someone struggling you can be very successful and fall into addiction or have a child fall into addiction at any age absolutely Mm. and I met Mm. I met so many of those people so many people that would walk in and I'd go wow you Mm. yeah okay no idea wow no idea and yeah and so we all have a vision of what we think someone in addiction looks like and it's nothing like that no but I just think that if, as a society, we open our eyes a little bit, and it can be something as simple as you're dropping your kids at school and there's that other kid, the kid that you see in the class that just not quite right, yeah. and maybe it's just taking five minutes. Can yeah. you buy them something to eat at the canteen? Can you read them a story? Can you include them? Mm. Just so that they know that there's good people out there mm. and they're far more likely to reach out. If yeah. they know that they're safe people. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 What's some other advice that you would be looking to, to pass on as well? Okay, so um, when I'm – I always say my, my thing is protect the child and, and like we've just talked about, that means protecting children. There's also really important that we protect the inner child, our own inner child. And I think it's something, especially for women, that we're not encouraged to do. And I did a lot of counselling and received a lot of counselling over the years. And I can remember a wonderful counsellor that I had said to me one day, the reason that you've survived is because you've tapped into your inner child. And I'm the most childish woman that you will ever meet. I have the most beautiful Beanie Boo collection. Oh, I love this. I spend my days, um, I make stuff. I make witches' bells. I make wands out of gemstones I go out into the bush and I get wood and and cross them into wands I've got a beautiful little altar and singing bowls oh I love it because you never know though when you need a magic wand they do come in handy yeah they do they do come in handy and um even with my own grandchildren um I've got two two, I call them my dirt girls because they're the real nature lovers and we do the bush walk to school and I get so much pleasure and I play I play a lot. Mm. I make stuff. I sew. I sing. I've got 200 indoor plants because I work in a nursery. Um, <laughs> and 
I just think that for other women, and it's really hard often, um, money can be a real constraint for women. Yeah. You know, not everybody has a good income. And I was thinking about it the other day and I'm like, I wish I'd known as a young, you know, I was a single mum with four kids at one point, broke. I wish I'd thought to go and buy a punnet of seedling yeah, from okay. Bunnings for two ninety nine mm. and plant them and watch them grow. Yeah. And there's that playing and um, just allowing ourselves to find joy in stuff that doesn't cost. Mm. Yeah. yeah, okay. That's, That's a bit of a lost art, isn't it, I think? Mm, I think yeah. it's coming back. I feel the groundswell. Great. I do. I feel, mm. and even something as simple as this mm. of those of us that have been there yeah. are starting to share what we know and oh, there's is, value, great value in that. There's incredible value in sitting down, having a conversation and not one that has to be over because I've got appointments to go to mm. or I need to do mm. this. It's it's you know, sitting down and just absorbing all that incredible wealth of, of knowledge. And learning to listen and I really struggle with this one. I'm a talker. So, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> so something that doors talk. And we, Lena used to have a sign. She would tap me on my shoulder and that meant, Julie, you've said enough. Oh, I love that. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, I could get a bit carried away. But but learning to listen. And yes. going and just going back to doors wide open, are you still helping there? Like what, what, what's no. happening? What happened with that journey, if you don't no. mind explaining? Okay. So a um, couple of years in, Things changed a little bit from the two mums that started it. And um, I don't want to go into anything personal, but there, you know, there, there was a board, there was some political stuff, mm. and I was in the middle of doing my diploma of counselling. Mm. And so I was starting to question how things were being run and did made a huge mistake in asking for a meeting to discuss my concerns and was asked for my resignation. Wow. So within five minutes, my whole life changed. And okay. yeah. That really makes me cross because you're just asking for something, a little bit of pushback, and then you're out. Yeah. And, and there were, you know, the thing, and I, I talked to a lot of other non for profit groups mm. and, and root organizations mm. and say to them all the time one of the most important things that you work out at the beginning is what everyone's agenda is. Yeah. And a lot of that came from the growth. Yeah. So, and personalities and stuff. And um, it was at the time totally devastating. Mm. Um, I just, my mental health just absolutely fell to pieces. Um, but I have to say now it was the best experience in my life because oh. from that came incredible healing. Right. Okay. So I was really broken, really. I had no idea what I was going to do and thought that I still had to save the world. And about the same time COVID happened and so everyone suddenly mm. the world wasn't existing so much outside yeah. and that's when, and I identify myself as a crone, that's, <laughs> that's the woman I am. <laughs> and so I started channeling my inner crone and I played and I healed. Great. And now I have a beautiful job where I play with plants. Mm. I still admire what's going on mm-hmm. and I, I, I kind of, I always knew I had, there was something on this planet that I was supposed to do and I thought it was saving the world and then I realised that what it is is just sharing what I know mm. and spreading that wherever it's meant to be. So you And you created something very special and something that was very much needed but then it was time. 
in a way to let that baby um, go well, off? Well, it that took it took a lot, and I said mm. there was a lot of hurt, and I the thing that came out of it. I I don't. I'm not an angry person. I'm not angry no. about anything that happened. I'm able to look at all of it now, right back to the stuff early in my life, and go. It was a set of circumstances. Mm. We did something amazing. Mm. Yeah. It had value. It's still got value. Yeah. It's morphing as stuff does. Mm. You know, yeah. Nothing ever stays the same. And for me, I was, I can go to bed every night and I wake up and I love Julie. Mm. She's right. a really cool chick. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you talk about the counselling and a counsellor said to me not too long ago that you have to look after that little girl, that little eight-year-old girl. Like when your trauma starts yeah. to hit you, six or seven or eight or mm. however, you've got to look after that little girl in there because she's still in there and you've got to be looking after her. Oh, and it's so lovely when you tap into it mm. and um, that's why I surround myself with young people. You know, I, I, I know lots of old people and I, there's nothing about getting old that I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> so I like to hang around and not uh, not in the, you know, I don't go out to concerts and no, stuff with them. Yeah. But they call into the house and I'll get a message, Mum, got any food? Oh, nice. And I take so much, you know, it's like you can zap a little bit of that youth mm. back. And, um, uh, yeah, and... You know, I just recently went to my brother's wedding and we're a huge family. There's nine of us and we danced the night away and it was like we were all kids again. Oh, and, nice. you know, you, there's no limit on fun and there's no age limit. No. So, yeah, you do, you that's do, it. you need to look after her. And women, you know, we're the, we're the fixer-upperers of the world and that's a huge yeah. burden. Yeah. And it's okay occasionally to step aside and go, I'm going to go make mud pies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the world can just look oh, after itself. Yeah, absolutely, the way you say that. Yeah, I'm just stepping away for a moment. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go and play in my blanket fort, or you know, <laughs> eat chips and watch a cool movie oh, or something. And yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really whatever floats your boat, isn't it? We've all got different things that we need that hit the inner soul. Yeah, and uh, help us to yeah. revive. And we're expected to be busy and productive all the time, and it's okay not to because at the end of the day, we're yeah. all going to be dead. Mm. I find that really interesting as well because I often I will talk to girlfriends or whatever and it'll be like, oh, my God, I'm so busy. Oh, let me check the diary. I'm flat out. I'm really busy. And since my circumstances with work have changed a little bit, I turn around and think, why is it that I'm feeling guilty if I turn around and say, well, um, actually, no, I haven't got really anything on, but I'm enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to be you busy? Feel guilty. Yeah, Why exactly. do we have to be busy all the time? We well, don't. I read to. something that said something that laziness is, particularly to women, is something new, and it was kind of to control the lower classes. Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing something for your masters or your higher ups, you are lazy. Ah. But it, so it, it's not. Yeah, okay. It's not human it's not our thing that's innate to us it's kind of we're conditioned yeah that way yeah. i've got right. a fridge a magnet that says boring women keep immaculate houses <laughs> and i'm not a boring woman but i have a really nice home and i like to keep it clean <laughs> yeah, but oh, i yeah. also like to in you know yeah. i like to cook up a storm and yeah. rock out to some cool music and yeah. that sort of stuff and it's okay to switch all that off mm. and i know you come from a media background i don't watch the news yeah i don't watch tv no, I don't want to know. Must admit, I don't watch a lot of it either. Mm. I'm the one keeping the news source going, I think, at the moment. <laughs> cool. Just every <laughs> now and then what's happening. Yeah, what's no, happening? and I'm just like, no, no, it's nice where I play. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love it, Julie. 
Absolutely beautiful. Good on you. Thank you, Julie. Oh, it's been, it's been um There's mm. just so much more that I would like to just keep scratching. That's yeah. right. When I write the book. <laughs> yes. Okay. We'll come back for a yeah. really in-depth in yeah. three-parter. Absolutely. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my Lord. Um, now, if you've been affected by any of the topics discussed, please visit the support links and we have links for more show information and to subscribe. Yeah, now before we go, Julie, we love a good quote here, the wisdom of women. What's something that you love? What's something that you think a woman should hear at least once in their life or, you know, some words? Okay, so I had a thought about this on the way and it's something I tell all the women that I know. You will never be as young and beautiful as you are right now ever again in your life, so celebrate everything about that. Stop looking in the mirror and going, I don't like that love yourself because this moment right here is the only one we're guaranteed oh wow julie thank you so much for that that's amazing and always remember every day you are remarkable